It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with certified financial planners Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners right here. And with me in the KFG studios, certified financial planners and my business partners, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. In John Templeton's timeless 16 Rules for Investment Success, he writes that the four most expensive words in the English language are, this time it's different. Well, is it finally true in this instance? Is this truly different this time? That and more coming up. That's a tongue. That's a tongue twister there. It but is. Uh, you got that out, Kevin. Tang tongueler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, if you have a question for the show, not about our grammar, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us. You can find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. Submit a question right there. A lot of questions show up on social media. You'll find us on Facebook and YouTube and the YouTube channel. We've got a great question from. Uh, from a fan of the show on the YouTube channel. Then you can always call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Okay, guys. Have you ever been in a tornado? You ever seen one? I mean, not been in in one, but have you ever seen one in real life? Yeah, like coming through your town or something, yeah. you mean? Yeah. We, we've seen some, yeah. yeah. Some no, twisters. I, I haven't, but I've... I've seen a movie about it. Yeah. So, so listen. I remember. I I've seen one, and uh, it was way off and distant. We 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 weren't. It wasn't in, um, wasn't in immediate danger. But so here's the thing. When I was growing up, always playing basketball in the driveway. Always, and the sun was shining. Birds were chirping. There was no breeze, and I'm playing basketball, and I hear the sirens going off. I'm like, I know what that means, but that can't be true. And I keep playing because I'm looking around and everything seemed fine. And sure enough, mom runs out and says, I'm watching TV and there's a tornado coming. And when, you know, then we saw it off in the distance once the alarm went off again. And I bring that analogy up, even though that's probably not what you want to hear as we start talking about the stock market. But it's sort of an example of, well, it, it, it's almost as if I'm out there playing basketball and the sirens go off. I know what that means, but I say, no, it's different. No, 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 no. I'm looking around. Those sirens must be wrong, mm-hmm. right? They must be saying the wrong thing. And right now we've got some we've got some things happening in the investment world and the economy where you say, okay, I, I think I know what that means. Or when that's happened before, it sort of suggests this. And yet we're looking at the current stock market and saying, nah, I don't know. Maybe it's different this time. Yeah, and so I guess I want to get into that and, and talk about what's going on in the in the investing world and why you might be thinking this time is different. So let's start first with valuations. The stock market being where it is compared to the underlying earnings of the company. Yeah, and I'm glad that you draw that distinction or or make that explanation that the the price of a stock is supposed to be tied to what investors around the world anyone who's buying and selling that company 
what they believe that stock or that company is going to generate in profits in the future. That's how you decide, ultimately. That's, that's the lasting, true way to value a, a company and therefore figure out what its appropriate stock price would be. But everyone has a different opinion on what the future profits are going to look like, mm -hmm. right? So the stock market is just kind of averaging everyone's opinions every single day. But when you look at certain points in history, there are times when the expected future profits look really, really terrible. And so you would expect the stock price to be really, really terrible. And sometimes there can be a disconnect there, right? Yeah. You think back to the dot-com bubble in the, in the late 90s when uh, companies were trading at these crazy high prices that, that seemed to make no sense on paper because they were, they were trading companies that didn't even have any profits, barely had any revenues. And, and at the time, it was justified because they said they don't need profit, or, or traders or investors thought, well... It's different this time. We don't need profits today because these companies will be profitable in the future because it's technology. And here's the here's the fear. I'm looking at a chart here that that shows this comparison and it dates back to 1995 and the level at which these prices are compared to their future expected earnings hasn't been at this level since the year 2000. And at the time, you know, I was in college during that time, but I'm pretty sure living in that time, they weren't calling this the tech bubble. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, we call it that after the it fact. It was the new economy. It was the right? new economy. And so now are we going to look back and say, oh, well, gosh, obviously this was a bubble. But right now we're saying, oh, no, this is great. Yeah, I, I think the mentality that many investors have is that well, listen, this was just, pr profits have been artificially clobbered, right? We, we, by our human action, have shut the economy down and we've, we've really squashed the, the profits temporarily for these companies. So you can't look at the next six months or 12 months as an indication of, uh, of what their long-term prospects will look like. You have to ignore it almost. Just kind of take it for a grain of salt and let's trade these companies at prices we think might make sense longer down the road it's also possible if you say if you're tempted to believe that this time could be different it's also possible you say it's because the government is doing so much to stimulate the economy that company earnings and profits right now don't really matter because it's being those those bad profits are being filled in by printing money, which is underway again. And in fact, there's some charts that show that the waterfall decline of the stock market in March and then the, the unbelievable rise, the best 50 days ever in the stock market that followed is correlated directly with the Federal Reserve expanding their balance sheet, which is geek speak for printing money. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you're looking at a couple of things here. One is the price to earnings. But the other is the supply and demand. And you say, well, what's, this, what's supply, and, well, supply and demand of cash? And if there's a huge supply of cash and it's been pumped into the economy and there is no real reward for saving, now we're going to be talking about that on an upcoming show, there is a reward for saving. It might not be a financial reward, but there is a reward for saving. For sure. But if you remove the financial reward for saving, 
then you say, well, what do I, what should I do if I have cash? Well, if I have cash, I'm going to deploy it and try to get it to earn more for me than the point nothing that I can get uh, in the bank. That's right. So all that cash that is pumped into the economy could be pushing the stock market higher. The, the other thing it's doing, though, we've always said, you know, one of the principles that we operate Corhorn Financial Group on is that the this idea of profit is a measure of sustainability of a business. And so we want our clients to always be profitable because they can stay in business. They have staying power that way. Mm -hmm. But cash is also another sustainer of a business. It helps to absorb the 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 shocks uh, along the road um, or, or the bumps along the road. Here's um, here's what the the Fed and ultimately Congress has done. They've been pumping cash into businesses, and it's maybe given them a measure of sustainability that they wouldn't have otherwise had because those profits just disappeared. Yeah, they they call these zombie companies, right? Mm -hmm. They're just being kept alive by uh, government life support. And you know, we've talked about it before. I I just tell you my opinion. I I, I think the original. CARES Act and stimu stimulating efforts avoided a, a depression, but I think we've got a huge moral hazard. It creates debt. It creates a false sense of um, of normalcy in the economy, and and I fear could be creating a precedent for future future uh, stock market decline. So, all right, a little bit more with valuations, but then what are some other things at play that suggest? Wait a second, could it, could it be different this time? we got that and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Is it different this time? That is the question. We're going to talk about that. We are talking about it right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. If you have a question for us, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's dive into it. Kevin's laughing here. We've had quite the we've had quite a bit of fun talking about um, what's going on in the market. But really, it's a there. There's lots of things that are occurring right now that are causing investors, even professional investors, to wonder, hey, is it, is it actually different this time? Do, do the things that have happened in the past that normally suggest, well, here's what could be coming, is, is it different? And, and one of those we're talking about is valuations. Now, let me tell you why this is important. The last time the stock market was this high compared to the earnings of the companies, it led to the lost decade. Now, what's the lost decade? It's not an Indiana Jones movie. Um, it is actually the time when the S&P 500, that's right, your darling investment, the investment that you said, well, you know, is always the best one, made no money on average over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And and so are we in danger of another lost decade? I mean, that that is that's the concern. Part of the reason why valuations are a concern and whatever, it, it does have to deal with something that's been uh, talked about quite frequently, and that is Robin Hood traders, Robin Hood day traders. The idea that since typical average investors can't bet 
uh, or excuse me, average individuals can't bet on sports or, or, or can't do a lot of other things. They're opening up these small accounts at Robinhood and just gambling with stock prices, and that's pushing prices out of whack. Well, and, you know, it's tempting to, you know, if you go back to March of this year and you see certain corporations that had just been beaten down, their stock price was so far down. And if you told yourself, hey, this is going to bounce back and it's going to bounce back quickly. And, you know, some of these companies were not bad companies. Um, Sometimes the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater, as they say. And if you had a few bucks that you wanted to kind of speculate with, and and I, I choose that word intentionally, by the way, um, you know, maybe you go open a small account, maybe you buy a few shares, you just kind of um, take a shot at this. And, and there have been a lot of people who have taken their first step towards being, I'll say towards being an investor, but again, they're being speculators mm-hmm. and they're doing it really historically at a fantastic time where y- you say, boy, um, when you buy that cheap, uh, there, it can't go much lower, right? And yet history is full of, of cases where it has. So, um, and, and yet we've got this amazing run up in the market that is making many of those people look or feel like geniuses, mm-hmm. right? Well, it, it, and so as you talk about speculators, though, Josh, there are people that have bet because this, and so this is when I, I think about this, and people say, "Oh, you know, take your hundred bucks and open a Robinhood account." That's fine. Robinhood, their technology is kind of proven; they can't keep up uh, when there's any kind of volume. And they actually made a settlement offer uh, to the folks that had issues with settlements. Um, so it's they've got some problems. And here's the deal: if you have a couple hundred bucks in a Robinhood account and you lost money, you're probably not going to spend the time to go after Robin Hood and, and get justice for yourself. But mm-hmm. here's what's very interesting to me is you're talking about speculating, open up an account, do something. They, with Robin Hood, they're talking about, hey, do options, do this, do that, the other thing, the other strategy. So how much has been bet and lost on Tesla stock so far this year? Hmm. Interesting Any question. Guess? I don't know. Almost $20 billion. That's billion with a B. Mm-hmm. So when I sell a stock short, I'm betting that the stock is going to go down in value. Josh, you were talking about that. Hey, the stock is going down. I can catch a falling dagger, and it will go back up, mm-hmm. and I will win. And and as you mentioned, I've seen some of those accounts. I've seen some of the people that bought in at the perfect right time, and they think they're doggone geniuses. Yeah. I mean, they think they're, they're smart in all get-outs. Guess what? Try and do that again. Try show me where that's repeatable in any way, shape, or form. And um, so the the issue is twenty billion dollars has been lost by people that said I'm going to take my hard-earned money and I'm going to bet that Tesla stock has gone down. And Mike, Tesla stock went from a year ago. It was two fifty to fifteen hundred now, or in that range. So, uh, if I'm a really smart guy, I look at that and I say, "There's no way that valuation is not justified." So the so here's the thing. This time it is different. Here's how it's different. The fact pattern is different this time. Mm-hmm. Now, but the question is, will the results be different? Yeah. And I and I just you know I read a an, a. I was just doing some research for the show, did a 
a little search and New York Times in March uh, had an article, this time it really is different. Guess what? It is different because this is the first time since 1918 we've had a pandemic. And in 1918, they weren't trading stocks online. Right. Yeah. So it is different this time and people's access to information and all these other things. That is different. And in that article, it talked about the reversion to the mean being dead, but it's not. The principles that that guide us are still in, in existence, even if it seems like you can't see them right now. You've made so many good points um, just now. I, I'm glad that you're pointing out that people say it's different at both a peak and the trough, right? When When things are at their ugliest so far, there's this assumption that, hey, we're never going to recover from this one. It's going to keep on going. This time it's different. There's, there's no bouncing back here. But then on the upside, on, after a long, strong recovery, you can say, hey, this time it's different. It's going to keep on rolling. The, the good times will not fail us. And, you know, for, for various reasons, you're, you're exactly right. The fact pattern is always different. There's always a different reason why a stock market decline begins. There's always a different reason for why the stock market begins its rebound. But it's not, it, it, we, we've never seen in history where that pattern doesn't repeat itself, right? Mm-hmm. You, you said, hey, we are, we're, we're seeing these swings. And um, I, I think it was John Templeton, who we keep referring to, um, he, he said that the stock market is on an upward trend. You have to be an optimistic investor to be successful over the long term. You have to believe that the stock market is giving long-term upward momentum, but it's characterized in the short term by sometimes some excesses and some corrections. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and you have to be prepared for that emotionally. But an article in a, in a large publication saying, this time it's not gonna. It, we're not gonna experience that again. What a dangerous article to write! And inevitably, all you have to do is just go look at the bottom of a market, and you'll find all kinds of those articles. In fact, sometimes it's it's those articles that actually push people to do their last bit of selling at the exact wrong time, pushing stocks to prices that are so low they don't make sense, and now creating the floor that gives us the rebound potential. You can actually take this argument a little bit um, deeper, and and I'd like to do so because what we're talking about with valuations, you can take the argument back to where things were in 2000 and say, well, technology companies, it really is different. But I, I but but what about what about bond investments? Bond investments because of the unprecedented place we find ourselves with interest rates, is it different? What about um, what about international investing? So there's a I'm going to go. Let's go deep into the weeds to say, well, as you look at individual investments, do you need it? Should you adjust your approach? So that and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Is international investing dead? I'm just going to point blank ask the question. Is is international investing dead? Should you only invest in U.S. stocks? In fact, if you're going with that argument, large cap U.S. stocks, large growth U.S. stocks. So 
have you bought into the idea that this time really is different? That's what we're talking about today. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn, Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show plus daily financial updates, your next wise step, you'll find right there on the YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Wise Money Show, subscribe to it, turn on notifications so that you're alerted every time we drop new content, which, as I said, every show as well as every business day. All right, guys, let's take this idea of, oh, this time it's different. I don't care what happened in the past. I don't care that uh, every time there's a tornado siren, there is a tornado. Weather looks great. This time is actually different. Let's apply that deeper. Is international investing dead? If you look back over 20 years, you'd say international investments have outperformed um, the S&P 500 U.S. investments half the time. So it's half and half. But if you look back over the last 10 years, or even the last seven or eight years, I think it's only been one year where international investments have even been close. U.S. investments have destroyed international investments. And yet you hear some financial advisors, disciplined, who base their recommendations on evidence, say, no, it's important to be diversified. Is that old news? I mean, is it, is it different this time? Well, as soon as we say, yeah, go ahead and abandon those international investments, you know what will happen, right? Yeah, sure. They'll go on a, a seven-year outperformance run. And you know what? You look back over the past 10 years that you were just referring to, and the the, the U.S. economy was coming out of one of the, well, the deepest recession that we had had since the Great Depression, right? And And we had this long, very slow kind of mediocre recovery, but it lasted a long, long time, right? Well, during that period of time, uh, Europe and many other nations experienced a, another recession, a small one. And so y- you might say, well, why would you invest in those economies that maybe are more vulnerable? Uh, here's the reality. We are we live in a global economy right now. And, and Maybe you could argue that politically there's some shifting going around and, and maybe some um, kind of pulling things back into this country. But we, we won't be able to completely reverse the trend towards an economy that um, is full of corporations that do business in other countries. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of our biggest corporations in this country do as much business or more outside the U.S. as they do inside the U.S. They're truly multinational companies. And and that's not going to change. You know, they're not going to just shut down operations internationally and say, OK, we're only going to function in, in the U.S. And so if you want to have a portfolio that represents the business activity going on around the globe, then I think it's important that you have international investments and not just look back on the past seven years and say, hey, I'm only going to own what has been working um, well, and that's all U.S. Mm-hmm. Instead, you know, the, the principle of diversification is that you have investments that don't all behave the same way at the same time. And that has been true over the past seven, seven years. Mm-hmm. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, the pendulum swings. And so if you looked at the decade of the 90s, you would have said, hey, all I wanted is the S&P 500. All I want is large U.S. stocks. And I think in that decade, large U.S. stocks were up 400% and international stocks were up 100%. And so you would have said at the end of the 90s, get rid of all of those 
things that returned 100% to me and put it in things that returned 400% to me. And then by March 9th of 2009, you had what you had back in 1997. So numbers in radio don't work. And, and so all I'm saying is that people are prone to zig when they should zag. Yep. And so the, the pendulum does swing, which is why you want a disciplined approach. So especially when you think of, you know, where would I want that disciplined approach? In my 401k. We did a uh, 401k enrollment this week, and we made sure that all of the participants were hitting the rebalance button. And you know, there's different ideas on how what the frequency of rebalance is, but if you have the right recipe, rebalance allows you to sell high and buy low. And that way, you say, "Hey, I'm going to take my performers, take profits from them, and buy the things that that aren't doing well." Okay, so so if you've made your case about international investing. Is bond investing dead? We've never seen interest rates at 0% here in the U.S. And even we, we talk about, well, um, a lot of folks invest based on the idea, uh, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? <laughs> you know, there's this, uh, I call it investor amnesia. You just can't remember what even happened last year. And so it's, there's always recency bias with, with investing. So it's hard to think back to a time when international investing was doing better, but it wasn't that long ago. Well, think about this. When's the last time interest rates were actually going up? When's the last time bond investors were were investing in bonds at a time when interest rates were actually going up? 50 years ago. 50 years. And we've never had interest rates at zero, so is bond investing dead? Well, it, it certainly has different risks today than it did, you know, 10 years or 20 years ago. In fact, I was sharing with a client just the other day that for my entire lifetime, interest rates have been steadily declining. That's right. Okay. So, you know, 41 years now. And, and I ask them often to think back to where interest rates were when you bought your first house or bought your first car. And the stories that they share about uh, how high interest rates are, it's, I've never seen anything like it in my life, right? And, and what that means, if you're a bond investor, there's this teeter-totter effect that happens. And on one end of the teeter-totter is interest rates. And the other end of the teeter-totter is bond values or the prices. When one end goes down, the other goes up. And so for my entire lifetime, interest rates have been declining, which pushes the value of those bonds up. You're not only earning some interest for holding those investments, but they're also going up in value for, again, an, an entire lifetime here. Right. But if the opposite is true as well, when interest rates begin to rise, it puts downward pressure on those same bond values, then the risk is, is that as interest rates are going up, you're losing money on the investments that you know, history has shown is always safe, steady, and predictable, right? You can't lose money in the bond market, right? Well, it is possible. Mm -hmm. And we could have a long-term trend at some point. Um, some people believe, though, that that trend may not start anytime soon because interest rates are going to be low for a long, long time. That's what my crystal ball says. Yeah, I, I, I've been saying uh, really uh, with some great courage of conviction since 2006, interest rates are going up. 
<laughs> and I have been wrong since 2006. Now, it's only 14 years. And I'm going to keep saying it because at some point in time in the future, I, I, right. I've got to be right. The broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah. So I, it is a great question, and it does beg the question, what should my allocation be? in my retirement plan, in my 401k, in the in the investments that I have outside of my 401k, and will, will the mix that I maybe haven't looked at in the last five or 10 years, is that still the right mix for me today? The moral of the story is your investment strategy needs to connect, needs to be connected to your overall financial plan because the, the fact pattern is different. The results aren't. And so you need to work with your certified financial planner. Make sure you've got an investment, a disciplined investment strategy that fits with your overall financial plan and your long-term goals. Got a great question from a fan of the show about Hertz stock fits right into the topic today. We're going to talk about that coming up the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. If you've missed anything, several ways to connect and follow up on this entire episode and and all other previous ones on podcast wherever you listen whether that's uh whether that's itunes or google or spotify just search the wise money show you'll find us there and then of course the youtube channel has every episode and then online wisemoneyshow.com there's a media player right there you can listen to previous episodes as well even submit questions speaking of questions that's where we're at we've got questions from fans of the show right now a couple that fit really nicely into today's topic. The first one is asking the question about Hertz stock. This is good. So after filing bankruptcy, why did Hertz stock go down to 50 cents and then back up to nearly $6? How can shares have any value if the company's going bankrupt? So here, let me just tell you what's happened. And uh, so so Hertz stock, the company Hertz, hey, we're in, in trouble and Pandemic is happening, and and the stock goes from $20 a share, February 20th, which was sort of the high of the market, down to $3 a share on March 18, when it seemed inevitable, hey, bankruptcy. Then from $3 up to $8, from $8 to $0.50 by May, and then within three weeks, it went from fifty-six cents to six dollars. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And then it's been bouncing around between a dollar and two dollars ever since. A bunch of speculation. The company's a zombie. It's done. They can't even sell their fleet. It's done. Why is this happening? Well, it's kind of just a, a very fascinating real-time example of where the price of a stock or, or the value of a company in the stock market can be very different than the value of the company when you look at their books and records, when you look at their balance sheet. If you were to, you know, yeah, fire sale everything that Hertz owns, all those cars, any office buildings, any, 
any furniture that they own, sell it all, what would it be worth? And is it enough to satisfy their creditors, the people standing in line to, to get what is owed to them? Um, that is a separate valuation than what the stock price happens to be selling at on any given day. Mm-hmm. And, and that price can be thrown all over the place depending on how you know speculators, as you said, are entering into that market, buying it up, selling it down, all of that. And it, there can be a true disconnect. That can happen in really great companies sometimes too. Yep. It, it, so let me get a little geeky here. And this has been, this is a couple, this might be a month old here, but I'll, I'll tell it to you anyway. The last time, the, so, so um, stock owners stand at the end of the line when a company is being liquidated. So if the company is being closed out, and like Josh said, all the assets are being sold, when do stock investors get the money? Well, it's after it's after government, it's after bondholders, it's at the very end of the line. And so, um, you know, some really smart people created that line and just ran the numbers. And and it, it looked as though Hertz was going to, would be able to sell its assets if it could. There has been some, yeah, apparently it's having a hard time selling its fleet of vehicles, that's their assets. If they could sell all their assets, I think it was, you know, a few billion dollars, but when they look at all their debt, it's a few billion more. And so stockholders are lined up mathematically to get nothing here. Mm-hmm. And yet there was so much speculation in stock in the stock after bankruptcy that Hurt said, we're going to issue more shares. One of the ways that we're going to get more money is we're going to sell more stock. And they were trying to sell a billion dollars worth of worthless stock in the marketplace as a way to help pay off creditors. And the SEC had to step in and say, no, 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 we're not going to allow it. Investors, let me say it differently, gamblers were that gullible. (laughs) They were willing to buy a worthless investment. And the SEC had to step in and say, no, 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 no. I know you can do this. We're not going to let you do this. It's unbelievable. That that is the risk of being an individual stock buyer if you don't understand the underlying economics of the company itself. Mm-hmm. If if when I say balance sheet and income statement and cash flow statement, if that sounds like foreign language to you, then your ability to truly look at Hertz as a business and and put any kind of um, predict prediction on what the the outcomes or the uh, the business results for that company are going to be, then you really should not be picking it as an individual stock because y- you're you're buying a business ultimately, and uh, instead you'd be better off entrusting that decision to a mutual fund manager, um, for for example, um, who who does this for a living. They evaluate companies all the time and decide whether or not Hertz is a dog that should be avoided or uh, a diamond that should be captured. Yeah, and when you think about what's gone on in the last six months, the big idea is to control the controllables. So what do you have control over and what do you not have control over? And if you're a speculator then you and you're buying Hertz, that stock is living rent-free in your head. And so if you, if you think about that and you think, well, what, um, what, are the, what are the unknowables? You know, in the middle of June, they had half a million cars that they were – going to possibly liquidate. So do they liquidate the cars? Uh, what happens to the travel industry? Do people start traveling again after the coronavirus is over? 
what kind of decisions does the board of directors make? So there are all of these unknowns that that make it so that you could only be a speculator mm-hmm. yeah. because yeah. you can't know the, the they're so there's such a great degree of variability in the possible outcomes. And you know, recently the stock's trading at a buck fifty. Is yeah. it going to go from a buck fifty to five or, or to twenty five? Or is it going to go back to 50 cent? And it's possible they exist beyond this bankruptcy. And companies have, and companies will. I, I think that a lot of people have, have said, even despite the stock market's rise, um, more and more companies will be filing bankruptcy because bankruptcy exists when, listen, I've got more debt than I have assets. And with low interest rates and with this federal bailout, I think more more companies are taking on debt. Got more debt than I have assets. And my cash flow is strained in such a way that I can't even pay these debt obligations. Right. But a company could step in, a different company could step in and say, hey, we're going to buy. We're going to buy that out. I think we're going to see that with a lot of retailers mm-hmm. who are buying brands. So, I mean, just run through the list here. This isn't all encompassing. But we got J. Crew. We got Gold's Gym. Gold's Gym says, hey, we'll still be operational after we go through bankruptcy. I, I don't know. Neiman Marcus, JCPenney, uh, GNC, Chuck E. Cheese. I can't believe that company survived out of the 80s. I mean, that. I, so, Chuck E. Cheese, Lucky Brand, Brooks Brothers. More fun than Disneyland. Are you That's kidding good me? Pizza, too. And, I like it. And Come Taylor on. Lane Bryant, uh, New York and Company. I mean, this is, these are some big names, and they, you know, they, 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 these brands might survive. I think Ann Taylor Lane Bryant, the rumor is the brands will survive. Someone will gobble them up, and, and the brand will survive. Yeah. Or, or creditors will do some sort of deal with them to, you know, give them a lifeline or, or something like that. Uh, it, it all boils down to the creditors who are, are, are in a position to lose money. Do they think, hey, will I get a better result by giving them another chance, so to speak, by letting them stretch this out or, or just cashing everything in and trying to, you know, take whatever I, I can to, you know, yep. minimize my losses? And it depends on each company in you know on its own merits ultimately. The big idea is be an investor, not a gambler. Be an investor, not a gambler. It, being an investor, investing for the long terms, a long term mean means you're buying the world's best enterprises. And whether that's Sears one day and Amazon the next day, you're holding a basket of all of them. You're not too concentrated in one, but you're holding a basket of all of them. Now this goes into Emma's question. Emma's thirty-two. And here's what she asked. What's the best way to start investing? Aside from retirement accounts, we'll get back to that. How do you decide what to invest and, and what, what, what to choose from, how much money? So fundamentally, how do, how do you start investing? Yeah, you know, we, we get this question quite a bit when people, um, they've been investing, they've been using up their 401k and, and maybe even maximizing it, which is hard to do because that's a big bucket that you can throw a lot of money into every year. But if you're a, if you're a big income individual um, and you have some excess capacity, maybe you received an inheritance or something, what do you do with that money? A lot of people don't stop to consider the fact that um, if this money is needed for a long-term goal, then getting it positioned in the best tax shelter possible, like the 401k at work or a Roth IRA at home, even a traditional IRA, um, you, you may even be able to use, uh, if you meet certain requirements, things like a health savings account, which we don't often think of as an investment vehicle, but it could be. 
But then there's this other one where all those same mutual funds, let's say, that you've been buying in a 401k or in your Roth IRA, you can own them outside of those accounts too. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can invest still in just as diversified a fashion, um, just as same amount of, of risk, or you could be even more conservative. The point is, is that in the mutual fund world, you have a tool that is really versatile. Mm-hmm. And the key though is, Emma, you know, you're 32 years old. If this is money that you're not going to touch until retirement, make sure you're maximizing those retirement accounts. But hold long-term investments then. Don't, don't put it in a CD that's going to earn you point nothing at the bank if this really is long-term money. I, I, I'm, I'm, Emma, I appreciate, I appreciate the question. I'm, I'm reading into your question. I think you're saying, aside from retirement accounts, how do I start making some money? How do I, how do I, how do I gamble? And I would tell you, don't. How, how to start investing? Have a goal. Yeah. And then sit down with a certified financial planner and craft out what it takes to reach that goal and the right way to invest to reach that goal. I feel like your question is saying, I've heard all these people making money when they buy an investment and it's gone straight up. How do I do that? Yeah, and, and, and if, if we were at Starbucks and I took my mask off <laughs> to talk to you. Um, You'd be asked to leave. Just, no, ki- just kidding. I would never do that. So, Emma, if we're if we're sitting down over a cup of coffee and you say, "Hey, what should I do with in, about investing?" I would I would what the advice that I would give to Emma is I'd say, "Emma, it feels like right now you've got an investment problem, but you don't. You have a financial planning problem, because really, in order to figure out what how to do this with investments, you need to have a great budget so that you know whatever you're starting." is sustainable and and you want to make sure your cash reserves are in order you want to make sure that the most important things and and risks that could derail your financial life have been transferred efficiently typically using um, you know some sort of product to do that uh, inexpensively you want to make sure that your your taxes are in order and investments the whole six areas of investments Six theories of financial planning. That's why you got it. You got it. (laughs) Thanks for the question, Emma. All right. That is all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, and myself, all of us at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.